1: The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's Best Pair You'll Ever Wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's Friends and Family Sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details.
2: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Aktung, Aktung.
3: Welcome to We Have Ways, 12 Days of Christmas Guest, where we're talking to a famous face about their personal relationship with the Second World War. As one of our final guests for this series, we're speaking to the wonderful actor Ian Lavender about his career and, of course, what it was like playing Private Pike in the iconic Dad's Army.
0: Don't panic, don't panic. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, uh, Al Murray, and James Holland. And Ian, welcome. Merry Christmas. Thank, Thank you, you, for you joining so much. Us.
4: And to
3: you all. I mean, normally Al and I just sit here talking about various bits about the Second World War. We thought what would be fun over Christmas is to have the 12 Christmas specials where we talk to people that we might not normally talk to about what the Second World War means to them and and how it's affected their lives. Um, And obviously it's played a very large part in your life, albeit one um, a little bit after
4: the event. What does it mean to me? It was a living. (laughs) (laughs) But I was, my my brother was born immediately before the war in 39. So he was a sort of last hope. And I was born in 46, just after the war. So I was a celebration. (laughs) (laughs) Whether I turned out to be for my parents, I don't know. But uh, that's what it seemed to be. And uh, my father was in the police force. So I suppose it was a reserved occupation, I suppose. And as such, he had to go around and lecture to the Home Guards around South Birmingham, where we lived, or he lived at that time. And my brother still has, when we were kids, called cyclostyled pages. Wow. Which were sort of run off a machine with a, with a sort of ink skin thing that, uh, and with instructions on how to deal with butterfly bombs. And he had to go to the bomb before he decided to call in the rank amateurs of the Home Guard before they would call in. <laughs> Uh, The real ones, and the only one he had to deal with, Now he being a strict Methodist and therefore teetotal, so he told me, Um, I found out much later, and I felt so upset when I found out that the burnt coffee on Christmas morning was, in fact, coffee with brandy in it. (laughs) 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 um, But the only one he had to deal with was one that landed on the roof of the King George V pub at the end of our road in Birmingham, one of those massive Birmingham pubs. Um, Mm, Yeah. And he yeah. had to climb up a ladder and see that there was a butterfly bomb there, uh, and then he had to come down, call the home guard, <laughs> and then he had to go and all for a little butterfly bomb. But but the, 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 the one thing that came out of it, as far as I can sort of remember, um, my brother benefited from it immediately. Was that there was one? We lived near the Austin Motor Works, where aeroplanes and lorries mm. were made in the war, and there's some the Malvern Hills close by, and so uh, yeah. the bombers had to come in from the south and they never actually hit the factory, a massive factory. And there was one parachutist German pilot captured locally and brought him by the home guard and brought to the local police station. And of course, they, um, there was a beautiful, rather beautiful cream silk parachute which was divided up between the police <laughs> officers and they all took <laughs> home to their wives. Eventually, my brother's teddy bear got a pair of pyjamas made out of them. <laughs> Which were handed on to my teddy bear because he grew old, uh, too old for them, and um, I do remember these little pajamas with this beautiful silk with little swastikas in. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people's teddy bears had, had pajamas with swastikas embroidered in. That's just brilliant. So uh, w- <laughs> when when Dad's actually happened, I was I wasn't steeped in it, but fascinated, um, being a little older than you two. You know, there we were, aged ten, and still playing on bomb sites on Saturday mornings after the after the, the pictures. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. by, by which time, of course, La and, and and Ostend had been rebuilt, so the war was still very much with us, sort of forced upon us by comics. They, they lived on them. You know, war yeah. comics, yeah, biggles, and yeah. uh, so it was very much part of our lives, even though we were, uh, weren't alive during it. So when dads came along. I didn't have to do too much research, and anyway, the most important thing to me was that it was, it was it was going to be ten weeks' work that summer, <laughs> uh, and uh, meant oh, I was going to be in, in London and uh, with everybody I knew for ten weeks, and it was great adventure. <gasps> oh, with these people that I'd only ever seen on the big screen or tele- television, of course. You know? um, with a couple of heroes in there as well, you know, and uh, um. I got. I didn't live too far away from Television Centre in Shepherds Bush at the time, in my little bitsit sit, and um, I arrived at Television Centre to go off filming that first day and saw that everybody had got suitcases. It didn't dawn on me we were only coming home that night. <laughs> <laughs> but but Ian, how
3: did you get the job? How did you get get the role in the first place? Was it sort of classic agent calling you up, get an audition, or because I mean, it was actually one of your first jobs, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, so it was my second real television part. And I feel I can be honest about it. I have been for several years now, but um, I was sent to see David Croft, the writer and producer, by my agent, Anne Callender. And I went once, and that was very nice. He gave me a page of script to read with a few lines on it. Thank you. And then um Fernand said, they want to see you again. Oh, so I went back to... and um, I got two pages of script this time. And then... Uh, mr croft would like to see you again so i went a third time and uh, there are three or four pages now uh, looking back i realized you have probably taken every line there <laughs> was in seven episodes and put them onto one page right. <laughs> i got a call from Anne saying uh you got the job what job that job oh really eventually she said before you go away filming which i thought would be daily uh, i want to take you out for, for, for lunch Lovely, thank you very much. So off I went into the West End and went for lunch with Anne. It's lovely. Right. Before we finish, there's something I have to tell you. David Croft. Yeah. Did you like him? Very much. Yeah, I liked him very much indeed. I seems he liked me as well. He did, yes. You and you duly got the part, of course. But there's one thing. I have to tell you, he's my husband. Oh. oh, my chin must have hit the table. She said, yes, that's why we didn't tell you. You got the part because he wants you. Oh, no, no, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. He said, All right, believe me if you will, believe me if you won't. But do believe this. Always remember, he can always write you out. <laughs>
3: But he absolutely didn't, and you ended up doing 80 episodes, didn't you?
4: So. And, and spread over 10 years, which was great. Uh, it was sort of 10 years, 10 weeks a year. Wonderful people, who became, all of whom were great friends. John Laurie became a sort of father figure, or a grandfather figure, if you will, I suppose, looking at it. And uh, I adored him. Well, John Locked Laurie's
3: in The 39 Steps, the original one, with you yes, know is, with
4: yeah. Robert Donat. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Oh, is it, can, can I tell you a silly story? Well, to me, it's... A, yes, of course. Um... When we were away filming at Setford, uh, David H- Croft had a house and in the middle weekend of the f- two weeks, uh, there'd be a dinner at his house for what he called the Magnificent Seven or the Ten, as we became with Vico Verger and, 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 and Raid Warden. And one night, John Laurie had the room. And oh he said... Right. Uh, you know, uh, generally, we're talking about... Um, This shouldn't have been a success. Just you know, everybody was against it. Nobody liked it. Yes, Um, David had to hide the scripts under a pile on his desk and saying he'd never, he'd never, he'd sent (coughs) them out. And Bill Cotton. Never got to see them before recording. that one. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a difficult... It was a job to get it on screen. Made, let alone on screen. Anyway, so uh, uh, that was the tenor of the conversation at that point. And John said, it is amazing. It's quite amazing uh, that this should have been a success. I mean, just look at us. Just look at us. We all were wondering what he was going to say. Cause we knew something was coming. <laughs> uh, just, just look. Let's go around the table. All right, uh, Jimmy Beck. Junior leading man in 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 uh, in provincial rep. Perhaps he ought to go back there and learn a bit more as well before he um, goes <laughs> And we're led by dear Arthur Arthur Lowe, second rate tenor in Harry H. Fortescue number two tours. Got himself a television <laughs> job in Manchester, and here he is. Well, good on him. John the measurer, dilettante, <laughs> 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 Arnold Ridley. Failed playwright, failed actor, failed writer, failed film producer. <laughs> now playing Doy Hood in The Archers, and here with a pair of galoshes instead of boots. Uh, <laughs> Clive Dunn started playing an old man in the Prisoner of War Camp in Austria, and he's been playing the same part ever since. Ian Lahander, green, wet behind the ears. I taught him everything he knows, but not everything that I know. <laughs> and then there's me. I've played every part in Shakespeare, apart from Henry VIII, and that was because I was too thin. And here am I. In the 20s, I was lauded as possibly the finest hamlet of a generation. And here am I. I've become famous for playing this crap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> by which time we were silent laughter we were just he got every one of us absolutely perfect now how long he'd been waiting to tell that story it could have been years but it was ready and he picked his moment his his timing was absolutely wonderful but to listen to him and arnold oh because arnold ridley was at the in the somme wasn't he yeah he was yeah wounded twice and sent back twice um i it in the groin and his hand uh, if you, uh, next time you watch look at his hands the fingers are very long and thin uh, and he'd been bayoneted in the hand it went up his arm um john was sent to the docks in in lava to help on, un- which is it was either a blighty or you worked on the docks um you possibly wouldn't get back you'd die yeah yeah i talked with john for so many hours it was absolutely wonderful and there were points when he said, "There are things I've told you I've never told my wife or my daughter, and you must promise me that you'll never tell anybody yourself." Wow! Gosh,
0: at what point did you realise the show was was a big hit? Because, as you say, the BBC were quite resistant
4: to it to start with, weren't they? They didn't, didn't think it was a laughing matter and all that sort of thing. Yeah, when it first went out, I lived uh, say um, Shepherd's Bush, Hammersmith way. Right? By this time, I we lived West Kensington. Olympia, really. It sounds good, West Kensington. Yeah. Uh, Because that was the name of the local tube station. It was pretty naff, but yes, that's where it was. And, um, you know, I went out down the North End Road waiting to be, ooh, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Oh dear. Uh, It didn't get very good press. Um, They decided to make a second series late the next year. Um, Okay, lovely, great, terrific. You know, Um, let's hope. I mean, you're supposed to go out on BBC Two. They put it, decided to put it out on BBC One, which was even more sort of exposure. And it was, I think, I think it was the third series which were were, we're shot in. We did in colour for the first time. The first two series black and white. That right. realised, ah, perhaps. We didn't. None of us thought there was ten years in it.
3: But Ian, where where was the, was the, um, the the church hall where you would you know where a lot of it's filmed? Was that just a studio? Or was that somewhere up in Thetford? So you you'd, you'd shoot
0: the location stuff on film, wouldn't you? And then go to TV centre. Did you do the thing of sort of rehearsing during the day and then shooting in the evening in front of an audience? On the on we rehearsed uh, for five days
4: and yeah. went into the studio on. Thursday or Friday night sometimes sometimes there was Sundays, but I mean yes, it was a f- five day rehearsal schedule and then record lock it, and record it um, on the day dress rehearsal record
0: gosh, so would there be would you all be sat in the in the canteen you know at, at half past six before the show and then and then show time In your and, battle dress in your battle dress I mean it's... yes, well,
4: that got us into the BBC <laughs> Club, you see if we were in costume <sighs> ah because it was strictly a club and there supposed to be members there. And uh, there was, oh, the tales of legion, but there was a wonderful commissioner there. He was lovely. And everybody loved him and loved, and the tricks they played on him. And he didn't like using the tannoy, so he'd go and he'd walk around this massive, lovely bar with a balcony outside and so on. Um, overlooking car parks in Shepherd's Bush, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good view, uh, you could say. Um, and he page people rather than put it out over the tannoy. And he was persuaded to do things like the two famous ones were going round for Mr. Andrew Pandy, Mr. Andrew... Mandy, phone call. Would the cast of the wooden tops please return to Studio 3? That's very good. But if we went in <laughs> our That's uniforms, uh, we'd be let in. Uh, that was
1: patently <laughs> obvious. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of second skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25 off site wide at TommyJohn.com/slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com/slash Spotify. See site for details.
2: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime.
4: Arthur Lowe with whom up upon whose shoulders despite everybody else despite John the Measure and Clive the show rested on his shoulders yeah Captain Mannering, you know, Dad's arm Captain Mannering. despite what you thought of the other characters and there he was leading the show carrying the show if you will and it was about the third second or third series and he came to me one day in rehearsal and just very consciously Look, don't don't worry, don't worry if there's not a lot of lines. Oh, I said, no, 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 no. they'll come. Don't worry. Sit in the meantime, and you know, this is the leading man, right? Uh, you know, you know about close-ups and <laughs> three shots, and we had tight sevens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he said, "Wait for the lines; they will come." In the meantime, get yourself a funny costume and stand near me. <laughs>
0: That worked out pretty well. Got a
4: colourful <laughs> scarf, yeah, and stood near Arthur and wore me a me hat. Funny, I realised the other day that I started working before, um, and it being the hundredth year of the BBC this year, I started working for the BBC before the, it had reached fifty. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a that's quite a thought, isn't it? But
3: Ian, I mean, obviously, um. D- John Laurie was a bit of a, a, a sort of father or grandfather figure, but do, do you think all of them kind of were, were, were slightly kind of avuncular with you? I mean, they obviously they were obviously all very fond of you as, as much as you were with them, but...
4: Oh, yes. I mean, they, they, all of them. I, mean, I was terrified of doing scenes with John Mesurier because it, it never was quite the same twice running. But I was only taught these things by them, realising that John may not play the scene exactly as we'd rehearsed it. And anyway, why should he? Because he didn't rehearse it the same twice. Running anyway, you know, yeah. you know any tiny things. He always be in the right place. the delivery might be just slightly different, or a little ha ha, you know, so. um,
0: <laughs> And was he was he doing that to keep it fresh for himself, or because he was refining
4: and perfecting as he went, or listening to the audience? What was what was what was going on? Well, we all do it. Uh, you know, you play a scene yeah. and tonight, you just play a line slightly differently. Yeah. Or tiny different pause. You, for heaven's sake, I mean, you know, you've done this gag how many times? But tonight, yeah. it's just slightly different. Yeah, Tonight, yeah. the audience wants it that way. Yeah. Um, and I'm positive that's what, what, what happened with John as well. A big part
0: of performing, what you discover is everyone's experiences come down to the same essential elements and the same things you need to do and get right. And yeah, absolutely. Survival is, survival is the, you know, it's Woody Allen says, um, stand up comedy is like a shark. It's got to keep moving or it, or it, or it'll die, you know, and it's exactly the same thing. Yeah.
4: And you you get so many different styles of, I adore comics. I love them. I was brought up on variety, not on theater. Going to the Birmingham Hippodrome once a week to a variety show. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we saw. And I didn't see a play in a theater until I was 14. I went to drama school three years later. Right, uh, a bit late, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it worked out okay, didn't it? <laughs> I was doing school plays, but going and watching a play. Oh, uh, it was my English teacher said, "You want to go to drama school?" Did not think it's time you went to see a play instead of just <laughs> being in them. I go to the theatre every week, sir. Yeah, you go to Variety. You see, <laughs> you see acrobats and comedians. Yeah. <laughs> And one and so I was brought up a variety and, and absolutely adore. Um, I'm sure that 99 percent of comedians, of stand up comedians, of you, they present a character on stage. Yeah. For heaven's sake, I mean, but, but obviously you do. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. The landlord. It's not you. Yeah. We know it. We and we know it's not you. Yeah. But. Everybody thought that Mike and Bernie Winters, that was Mike and Bernie Winters. Well, I've always, this is the thing I've always
0: thought in is, is, whenever I talk to proper actors, I say to them, how do you know it's going well? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they don't laugh. They're sat there in silence. How can you, how can you possibly tell? And obviously, if you're in a film, if the director's happy with the take, then you've done it right. But how does anyone, how does anyone know, you know, like, um, that it's going well? Whereas, you know, I, this is the thing is as a comic, I'm always thinking, right. Uh, that'll get me a laugh now. We'll bank another one in a minute. I could do this longer bit now I've got those two under my belt. You know, all that sort of thing.
4: I mean, you are told um, immediately whether it worked or not. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is the thrill of it. You have to read the reviews. They're not going to go, yeah, well done. Oh, you did that line very well. When you're yeah. talking to, alas, poor Yorick. Yeah. I, I knew him, Horatio. I have not got the quote right. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no well in there. Um they clap at the end. Uh, you might get a yeah. few gasps of, oh! um, yeah. and when you're given the tedious task of having to play a Shakespearean clown, um, <laughs> you know, and you get a laugh. I mean, the whole the whole castle turn around and say, "Bloody hell! How did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, a miracle!"
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Ian, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you, and thank yeah, you for really sharing, sharing your memories. and what Wonderful to talk to you and to and to hear about. Um I mean this legendary iconic show that I think everyone everyone knows and loves well and, and also
3: isn't it heartwarming about to hear how lovely they all were and, and yeah. it's not just you but but you had such a you have such warm memories of of all the various people who, who you know who were, uh, have such a a place in the hearts of everyone who's watched watched the 80 episodes it's um it's um it's lovely to hear yeah
0: Well, we've been talking to Ian Lavender, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Ian, for joining us. It's what a privilege.